Welcome to the Industry and Parliament Trust University of Warwick Policy Series. These events are an opportunity for policymakers and business leaders to discuss issues that are high on the policy agenda and hear about the latest research in the field. This year we'll be discussing topics including cybersecurity, creativity and business and the future of food and farming. The title of tonight's dinner is How Much Risk is Too Much? We are delighted to welcome our two speakers, Richard Waterer, Head of Marsh Risk Consulting, and Bridget Sullivan-Taylor, Assistant Professor of Strategy and Organisation at Warwick Business School. Our Chair for this evening will be the Right Honourable Hazel Bleers MP, and I'm going to hand over to Hazel now to discuss the topic of the dinner with our two speakers. Thank you very much, and I'm delighted that we're joined by uh, our two illustrious speakers here this evening, and also by Leila, I think who's been a research assistant at the university as well. Um, the issues before us are absolutely fascinating and very, very uh, topical at the moment, and I think that we're going to have a, an excellent discussion. I just wondered, just by way of um, introduction, if you could just say from your own very different perspectives, because Richard, you're in consulting, and uh, Bridget, you're in um, the kind of academic field, what do you think are the main threats? to business today. Bridget, perhaps, would you like to um, uh, Several. Um, I guess one of the things that is quite difficult for organisations where managers haven't had the experience of managing through a recession, and so there is a shortage at the moment, let's say, of managers who have lived personally or professionally through the context of a recessionary environment, which is quite different to a growth economy. And that has multiple effects in terms of how you pri prioritise and invest in and prepare for a range of different risks. Because many organisations are cost-cutting at this time, and it means it's very difficult for business continuity managers and others to get more longer-term or extreme threats put high on to the organisational agenda. So I'd say that would be one of the difficult things. Right. Mm. And I suppose there's quite a big difference between having a, a lean management structure yes. and making decisions that are, are if you like, panicky decisions in response to market conditions. So yes, that's so there's not so many resources around to buffer organisations in terms of taking risks, whether it's in core business like R&D, mm -hmm. right through to extreme uncertainty, things that may or may not happen, but if they do happen, there will be a huge impact on organisations. So I think in this particular context, when we're talking about risk, and I mean the economic context, mm -hmm. I think it has some considerable uh, challenges for organisations going forward. Okay, and, and Richard, what about yourself, what are you finding are the main threats to business? Well, I think on the, the, the picture that Bridget painted about the, the environment that most businesses are operating in um, makes any risk exposure potentially more pronounced. Um, but some of the threats that we're seeing companies facing today include a lot of the, a lot of the risk issues that you would have seen um, 100 years ago, fire, flood, um, but in many ways they're exaggerated, um, and they're exaggerated by um, what we've seen in natural catastrophe over the last 18 months. Um, they're exaggerated by... Um, loss of raw materials which can impact um, supply chains um, and on the subject of supply chains you know often businesses are streamlining their own operations and placing more dependency on um, third parties which are often outside of their own control so there's a big supply chain element to this as well. Um, do you think the issue about outsourcing from the public sector is, is relevant here as well because the, the boundaries between the public sector and the private sector are becoming ever kind of more blurred, aren't they? Yes, they, they are, and I think, I think it's in, entirely relevant. And I think perhaps the only thing that might be maybe different would be the, the sort of impact metrics um, and, you know, it'd be more a reputation service delivery um, set of components rather than a pure uh, marginal revenue play. Um, but it's, it's still going to create um, uh, some 
serious um, and significant implications in the event that there is a, uh, an interruption. So, so all of those all of those issues are are, are critical. Um, Overlaid on that, you've got sort of political tensions globally as well, and the fact that you might be doing business with a, an organisation that's, you know, subject to um, political risk um, type exposures. So when you look at the um, the Arab Spring issues of 2011 as a good example of that as well. So a very simple world that we're all living in. Extremely then. simple. <laughs> very straightforward. And, and plenty of um, plenty of stretch in businesses and uh, operations. Indeed. Um, Obviously, resilience means different things in different contexts. Um, how do you think that? What would be the, the perhaps the two things that you would recommend to a business to stay resilient in what is a very complex environment now? So the two things I would say are probably the most critical is understand what your business's appetite for that risk is, and be careful that you don't take decisions that breach that appetite. Um, it can be extremely tempting to take to pursue a course of action for commercial gain without fully considering what the risks are and being satisfied that those risks are commensurate with your own appetite. So having understanding your appetite, I think, is the first key issue. And the second one is, wherever you can, understand what your risk issues are um, and evaluate them regularly um, and, and don't um, allow that to become the, the domain of one department within your organisation make it something that's very much top-down and, um, and is a focus for everybody in the business. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Bridget? Um, I think three things. One is to... Um, three things. I said two things. Oh, two things. <laughs> well, <laughs> didn't really. you can have three if you like. That's fine. Um, the key thing is not to be too complacent. Mm -hmm. And I think organisations who are uh, or that are based in highly regulated sectors often are quite confident that they will muddle through and uh, that their level of regulation provides a minimum. Uh, however, the nature of the extreme events that we're facing and the potential uh, long-term consequences of them means that organisations uh, really need to be thinking about uh, their BCM, their resilience plans, alongside their strategy of the organisation and review it regularly and invest in it. Otherwise, uh, there's real chance that they won't survive uh, another or potential complicated extreme event. The second one is um, to think about strategic decision making and who informs the strategic decision making in the firm. And what we've found in our research is a lot of business continuity managers are not on the board of organisations. And although they do a lot of the risk analysis, they are not the ones sitting on the board making the decisions. Other key influences are making those decisions. So um, it's difficult when they're not legitimised in that way, either at senior level and in other parts of the organisation. So I think that's a, a key thing that needs to be thought through in, in terms of the future. And finally, more about thinking outside of the firm and a little bit of what Richard was saying about the supply chain perspective and realising that organisations uh, are dependent on their supply chain, their geographical environment, other organisations that may affect their own resilience. So although you may think you are resilient, if you haven't thought through those other aspects, then in fact they could be the weak link mm. in your chain. Mm. Mm. Do, I, do either of you um, think that there's a, an issue around resilience and if you like the values of your business? Because you Richard said think about your appetite for risk and yet many of the most successful businesses these days are very clear about the values of the organisation and I just wonder if there are circumstances in which the calibration of risk might butt up against some of the values that the organisations adopted? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. I, I actually think that the, the, your ability to take risk as a business, your appetite um, to do that, 
is not born um, entirely out of the, um, your ability to withstand that financially. It's also born out of the, strat the strategy of the organisation. And if you're in a business that's in a, a high growth market sector that's dependent on taking risk, either through new product development, R&D work, um, expansion to international markets, then you have to um, accept the fact that you will be taking on risk as a consequence of that. And then it's, and then it's um, the, the responsibility of the business to ensure that those risks are being adequately monitored and managed. Mm. So um, it, it, it could, you, you, you could have these two sort of juxtapositions, but um, you know, businesses that think about risk in the right way um, ensure that they're managing it in commensurate with their strategies. Yeah, so. And it needn't be in contradiction with their values if absolutely they do it in not, the right no, way. No, absolutely not. You never got anywhere without taking risk. <laughs> the basic rule of entrepreneurialism, exactly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and really, um, finally, I suppose, just to ask uh, the question that politicians will always ask, and that is, what do you think the government could be doing, or should be doing, to try and help companies cope with increased levels of risk? Um, from the research we've done, it does appear that the organisations are saying there needs to be some incentives. Um, whether that is uh, more regulation or not seems to be under debate. But certainly the sectors that are highly regulated do comply with what they need to and work together more collectively to achieve that. And I'm thinking there of the financial sector and the aviation sector and us, so forth. Um, but other incentives would be helpful. So if insurance companies, the government gave insurance companies incentives and insurance companies gave organisations incentives to uh, invest more in resilience and BCM and evidence that then that might help because the research we've been looking at is mainly about the private sector and what are the key motivations. And one of the key motivations we've found is reputation. Reputation in the sense of if there is a disaster and they're found to have not invested, that's you know um, damaging. But it would be good not to get into that position and have some incentives for organisations to work together. And partly that would include some of the BS-related standards of getting organisations not only to think about their own resilience and BCM plans, but uh, working with each other. So if there was more of an interconnected nature uh, of working together and some responsibility for that, then I think that would help improve um, the ability of this to get higher on the corporate agenda in organisations and get mm -hmm. invested in. Because this is about long-term planning, not just short-term mm -hmm. survival. So. Do you think there's any, um, again, I, I suppose slightly conflict in this because my experience with, for example, uh, mobile phone companies and people in that um, area of business is that they've been very loath to work together sometimes because of, um, you know, whoever makes the next commercial development doesn't want to share it with their competitors. Um, and sometimes that there's, there's a tension between working together and cooperating and at the same time revealing, if you like, your next great idea that you want to get market advantage from. Definitely. I think we found that with our research with banks, there's this tension between cooperation and competition, but they uh, definitely have some mutual threats external to their sector, which affect all of them, and uh, where we've seen this played out quite well is in, uh, where they are co-located, where there's a cluster, like in Canary Wharf Group, where you would not normally see competitors uh, working together in this way, but where there is a, a high level of awareness that there is mutual threat which could affect all of them, such as a terrorist attack or an airline attack or a flood or something that will happen to their mutual space, um, and there are codependencies. So it's about getting that level of awareness, I think, outside of your sector or of your geographical space, and we're doing some work on 
uh, city, place and space starting to get organisations to think about not only their corporate resilience but also their community resilience mm -hmm. and they have an impact uh, um, on themselves, their sector and their geographical location. Okay. I think that's a really fascinating area of research. If people's interests are aligned, then they're more likely to behave uh, in a proper way. What, Richard, what's your experience? I, I agree with... Do these um, bosses talk to each other and cooperate? <laughs> I agree with everything Bridget's actually said, I think, um, but I do think that probably one of the biggest challenges um, facing most businesses around the issue of resilience is a knowledge gap mm. and a clear understanding about where the risk does um, sit so that they can take the necessary steps. And um, back to your um, earlier question about the role that government can play, whether it's through um, regulation or not, I think um, an advisory role, particularly for those organisations that make up the majority of British businesses that don't have the luxury of the risk department, is always going to be helpful. Um, and then the pooling of industries into um, forums that can allow a shared discussion around risk to, um, to, to follow. Um, it's bound to be a good thing. I mean, the, the Civil Contingencies Act of 2004 was a good example of community risk registers, and it's almost risk registers for, for industry sectors that would be, would, would be beneficial for moving this debate on. Okay, now, some very practical suggestions there. So thanks very much for that, Richard, and, and thank you, Bridget. And we look forward to a really stimulating discussion uh, later on this evening.